Hey everybody, welcome to episode 7 of the podcast. This time, trumpet player, keyboardist, and composer Justin Stanton enters the vibe chamber. But before that happens, I want to let you guys all know that this is a video podcast as well. The show is recorded and streamed live to YouTube right as it's happening. So if you want to see full episode archives, clips from the show, or you want to see when I'm going to be live next, you can check out the vibe chamber on YouTube.com. Anyway, thank you so much for listening, and I hope you enjoy. Justin Stanton, how's it going? Hey bud, Scott, good to see you man, it's been a long time. It's good to see you too, it's been, um, I think the last time we talked was, I did an interview with you in 2016, maybe? I think it was, because I think it was right about the time that, it was either right before or right, no I know exactly what it was, it was after Culture Vulture had come out, because I remember talking about that with you. Yeah, so yeah, 2016. Right. Un- oh. Unbelievable. Where are you coming to us from right now? I'm in Lisbon, Portugal. Liz- oh my lord. Do you live there now? Or are you on tour? Well, you can't uh, like tour, but... <laughs> no, I've been playing some gigs here and there, but I've been here since March, basically since the beginning of the pandemic. Oh, so you're, you're able to play currently? I, just, I never know because, you know, everyone's situation right now is kind of off kilter because of, you know, COVID. Right. I mean, it's, it's definitely not frequent by any means, but it's... Uh, yeah, things here and there. I was at last week. I was in Montreux doing some teaching with Mike Lee oh, and wow. Bill Lawrence. Yeah, so uh, yeah, some things come up here and there, but I mean, mostly at home, like everybody else. Yeah, I I apologize that I'm I'm shocked. I just you know when I talk to people a lot, usually it's I don't hear much about um, people doing things. You know, a lot of traveling, which is something that I really enjoy hearing that you're doing because it's it's disheartening when I hear that you know everything is online still, but it's nice to hear that you're, you're actually kind of getting back to that more normal side of things. Yeah. It's been, it's been cool. I mean, I definitely come home every time. I'm like, okay, I probably got fucking (laughs) COVID that time, you know, but, uh, honestly, like flying feels pretty safe. It's, and, and I read somewhere, uh, it's like flying is maybe one of the safest places that you can be just because of the way the care that they've gone to recycling there. I should shut up because I'm a musician and not a scientist, but <laughs> it's I okay. probably read that on Instagram too. So I'll just shut up there. There's definitely a million things that I think genuinely that I just read once and somehow it just, it's one of those things where like sometimes when you read something and you just kind of forget where you read it, but it sticks with you really, really strongly. Right. And, that, and nowadays, you know, when we're so unsure about things, it, it seems like a lot of stuff is just kind of getting stuck in our brains and we don't even know if it's true. Yeah, we're definitely um, on the spin cycle. <laughs> absolutely. Um, so I want to ask you, where, where do you live usually? Um, well, since 2010, I lived in New York. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I said, since March, I've been here in Lisbon. Um, for the... It's- unforeseeable future from here. Oh, so here with my, I live with my girlfriend, Gisela, who's Portuguese. Gotcha. Oh, so this is, it's a permanent situation. Uh, I mean, what's permanent? Well, you know what I mean? It's like, you're not just, you're not just visiting Portugal. No, 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 no. I've gotcha. I was visiting quite frequently uh, over the past, you know, uh, almost two years now. Gotcha. Um, okay. So like I had a ticket booked to come here before a tour with mm-hmm. Snarky Puppy and, um that was in march and it was and when i got here i mean i already had the the flight book so within the 
the tour got canceled shortly after I got here mm. and um, then my things got canceled in the US and I was like, well, and then I started picking up more work here in Europe. So, um, yeah. Uh, how, how are you enjoying it compared to the States? Well, I haven't been there since the shit hit the fan. So <laughs> I, I don't know. I can, I, I can only, I only know from my friends' experiences and speaking with them, but, uh, I think I'm, I'm generally thankful, very grateful to be here. And, uh, yeah, it's been nice. Super yeah, you, nice. You can really only compare pre COVID New York to, you know, during and post COVID Portugal. Yeah. Gotcha. I mean, yeah, nothing like New York, but, uh, yeah, Lisbon is a very nice place to be and, and focus focus on music from home and, and use it as a base to sort of scoot around Europe and do a couple things here and there. Gotcha. Yeah, New York is interesting right now because I'm in I'm in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm about neighborhood. Bed-Stuy. I'm off the C train. Uh, you, do you know Fulton Street? It's like the big yeah, street. Yeah, of course. Uh, I'm on uh, Kings, the Kingston Throop Stop in Bed-Stuy. But uh, overall, I'd say... Brooklyn is pretty much the, like it's I'd say it's the most normal in terms of you know just feeling like New York but when you go to Manhattan if it's it's sometimes you'll go there on like a Saturday and you'll be like midday Saturday which usually you know it's a bunch of people and there are times like do you do you remember like when you would live in the city you know that like Sunday night feeling in New York City where it's like the streets are dead and it feels strange I always yeah. notice that's like Sunday nights where this was that day. That could happen basically any day of the week now. It's strange to just mm. like w- walk down Fifth Avenue at eight o'clock at night and it feels like two in the morning on a Sunday. It's yeah. strange. It must be eerie. Yeah, it's it's definitely it still has that New York kind of vibe. You know, I can't. I, I, a lot of people say it's you know completely dead and it's totally different. I don't. I don't totally agree. It's definitely altered. But it's not like this totally different wasteland kind of a situation. It's it's just it's just strange. That's basically the best way I can put it. Yeah. Yeah. But okay, I want to go back a little bit. Um, and to the people that are watching, I'd like to say thank you so much uh, for joining us today. And actually, I I had the opportunity to interview Justin back in 2016, and so I'm going to apologize. I asked him a couple of these questions uh, back then. However. <laughs> I was, I'm going to say still, uh, but I was especially uncomfortable on camera back then. So I'm basically kind of going to uh, redeem myself in, in an interviewing sense. But I want to ask, where are you from originally? From Elizabethton, Tennessee. Mm. And what was it that got you into music? What was your first instrument? Um, well, I, I started taking like a keyboard class in fifth grade, like an after school thing. Mm-hmm. So my parents bought me this like little keyboard from Walmart and <laughs> I learned how to play like, it was kind of hip actually. Like looking back, it was like this music teacher I had was like put together this like keyboard ensemble class after school. Mm-hmm. And uh, he taught us, um, what did he teach us? Also Sprock Zarathustra, I think. Okay. And, uh, or maybe Ode to Joy, you know, one of those. Yeah. But it was like, he didn't teach us like in like notation. He taught us, he taught us by ear and by rote. Basically it's like in, in order to like teach us eighth notes, he was like, okay, play this part faster. <laughs> okay. These two notes go faster. It was like kind of cool. But anyway, like that was fifth grade and then sixth grade. I, I um, 
started in band playing trumpet. And then in seventh grade, I started taking piano lessons. So, I mean, everything was like right around the same time to give you a very long answer. So is, is playing by ear kind of, w- w- do you prefer playing by ear? Or do you prefer, prefer uh, reading music? Um, well, from an early age, when I started reading music, I sort of prided myself on my ability to sight read. Mm-hmm. And it got me through a lot of school, especially going through a band program and, and like competitions and all that. There was a heavy emphasis on sight reading. And even all the way into going to grad school at North Texas, uh, there's a huge emphasis on sight reading in the big band program. So uh, I was able to fare well, I think, thank, uh, thanks to thanks to that. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> it's funny, like I went through basically like 22, 23 years of life, um, 12 of which, you know, playing music, 12 to 13 playing music and then like, not ever really playing by ear that much or having to rely on my ear. And then once I got out of school, the, the majority of my gigs were, you know, learning music for those gigs were learning by ear. Mm-hmm. So I feel like that's a muscle I developed really, really late, especially if I compare it to a lot of my peers who um, were more comfortable learning music by ear. And uh, most of the, the snarky puppy stuff was done by ear, correct? Yeah. Although that's an a, um, interesting example because at first, um, Mike used to write out the tunes. Mm-hmm. So there were charts for everything, but then there was a switch. There was a, a point in, in, in the life of the band when um, Mike started to not use charts anymore because he didn't want charts to be on stage. He's like, just learn, the, learn everything by ear. So we've done that for mm-hmm. the past probably 12 years. And when you be- went back from doing the live recorded albums to going into the studio, did that process stay the same? Sorry, what was that? Well, when you, because uh, you know, you guys were very well known for doing your live recorded uh, albums with an audience. And then when you went yeah. back, uh, what was it after Silva? Uh, was I'm trying to I'm trying to keep my my discography in order. Yeah, when you went back for Culture Vulture and you went back into the studio, made a more traditional studio record. Was the process of learning the music the same? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah, and I mean like the thing about those studio studio records, the last two, it's funny because like it's like, okay, let's let's do like an actual studio record instead of like the live in front of an audience thing. But you know, like I looking back and, and even during this session, I mean the we tracked live as a band. Mm-hmm. I mean, really the overdubbing process was more of like layering. It wasn't a lot of fixing things. Gotcha. I mean, you have more freedom to sort of fix things and, and refine things for sure. But like in, in, in terms of like the feeling of the band, like people have asked me if like, okay, did you track drums and then you track guitar? And he was like, no, we were actually, mostly everybody was in the same room tracking at the same time. Does that ability to add all those, you know, finalized details and textural things, is that, would you prefer being able to do that over having a live audience there where you have to do everything straight to tape? Uh, I, don't, I don't know. I think there's merits in both. There's, there's certainly like an, an undeniable energy of playing in front of people and mm-hmm. it's like palpable in the room and it creates 
I think there's a certain magic in that. But I mean, at the same time, it's like I said, when we're tracking in the studio, we're playing basically for each other. We're all in the room and you're, you, you know, you want to do well and, you know, um, you want to, you want to add to that energy in the room and you want to create something good. Um, so I think there's merits in both. I mean, I love being in the studio and, and <clears throat> part of being at home too is like mm-hmm. being able to sit and work and add things like if somebody sends me a song to record on, like just to just be able to sit in that and like sort of experiment with layers. I love that, but I also love playing for people. And I think like most musicians, I miss that right now. Yeah, so. absolutely. So are you doing a lot of remote tracking? Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, here and there. Doing what do you some use stuff? What do you use Sorry. to record? What, uh, what DAW? Uh, I use Logic. Hmm. I was, yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm definitely not the guy to talk to about like home studio setup because basically like all my things are in New York. So I've sort of gotcha. had a since I've been here, but I have a piano here and a MIDI controller and I've been, I've never been a guy that's been into sauce since, but I have gotten into sauce since, since I've been here because that's my instrument for keyboards. So, and I have like a little SSL two channel thing and um, yeah, it's modest, but it's okay. Well, SSL is a fantastic company. My roommate is is huge into audio engineering, and he, and he and he loves SSL. So I don't know that much about the company itself, all except from what he knows, and he's you know much more knowledgeable than me on that. But he always talks highly of SSL. So that's it. I mean, there's not it's not that like you need a whole whole lot because you know it's like it really just comes down to you know the merit of the music, and if you can portray that, it doesn't you know you don't need a whole fancy setup because like I was talking about this yesterday. I had a show with uh, a guy named Jeff Countryman who is, he's, he's a producer and an audio engineer and he works for Saturday night live. And we were having a conversation about how I saw that is, does he make the DI boxes? Is that the same countryman? Uh, I don't think so, but okay. Maybe not. I no no no. You might. I'm I'm making a face because you might be right. That's the thing. I saw, I, his, I saw his last name, and every time I, I just think about it. Every time I play at Rockwood, they have these DI boxes, and they say Countryman on them. And I saw his name. I was like, I've never seen that name anywhere but on a DI box. I don't. I don't think so, unless I'm unless my research for him was really bad, which it totally could have been because I have not heard anything. But I'll, next time I talk to him, I'll ask him. But um, yeah, we we were just talking about that subject of like. You know, people talk about like you need all this fancy stuff. It's just like it really just comes down to the music that you're recording and not the whole fancy setup behind it. But um, it's yeah, it's, I, I I don't know. Everybody's got different different things, and and you know when you're do, putting together something, it's like a home studio system, and and you know unless you're loaded, it's like you're not gonna like go out and buy a top of the line everything. So. I'm yeah. basically like sort of been building up piece by piece as, as things come along. The, the SSL thing is like, it's sort of like an affordable option. It's not like when you think SSL, you think like the big mixing boards in like a, in, in a real studio. This is like a two channel sort of like yeah. around the same price as like a Focusrite Scarlet or something. Gotcha. Um, definitely like if you're using like an Apollo, like UA, D, like, Oh yeah. Or something like you'd definitely be in a, in a better place probably. But I mean, I agree. Like for me, I think it's good and I haven't had anyone complain, but I've also done sessions for people where they've asked me what my gear is at home. And I've told them and they're like, um, 
we're going to book you some studio time and you can go in. <laughs> well, there's a, there's a like, lot, there's a lot of people okay. who really, there is, uh, I mean, sometimes I think it's, it's, you know, there's merit to the idea of like, you know, we want this to sound really good, but I think sometimes people just kind of have like an arrogance about audio tech, audio technology where it's like, Oh, you got to do it this way. I think I've I've said this a bunch publicly, but it's just, sometimes there's people who say it because they have a real reason. And sometimes people just kind of have, a they almost think it like they're better than you for not, you know, using this certain technology, which. Yeah. Well, certainly the opposite is the case too. I mean, I, I talked to uh, Nick Hart about this a lot, uh, mm-hmm. engineer I work with quite a bit. And what was that? That was someone outside my house. <laughs> there is, um, you know, <laughs> it's the thing is when you do pre-recorded stuff, you can cut stuff out, but when you're going live, no matter how well I sound treat this room, because, you know, I'm, I'm working on a low, low budget. There's still, you know, it's New York City. You're going to get those like random screams, you know, explosions that you don't know if it's like a car backfiring, that kind of stuff, you know? <laughs> I was just talking to Moz earlier, uh, just before I talk, called you and uh, or you, we were, we're doing the interview and <laughs> he lives in, uh, in Flatbush. Gotcha. There's sirens going off in the background, and we were talking about the, his birthday is on election day. Oh wow! So he's talking about well, we'll see. And then see who we were talking about. The siren was going off. <laughs> I was like, well, uh, how ominous! It's gonna be. I mean, whenever there's any big event in New York, it's it's always insane. You know, you you've lived here so long, you know that. But it's especially these days, it's like uh, people are just kind of doing kind of what they want which is cool you know it's cool that people are just kind of like i mean for like the fourth of july all of new york city was just like like fireworks just like 24 7 which you know i think to people who don't live here might be annoying but it's one of those things where you just kind of shrug your shoulders and you go "Eh, it's new york it's how it is Um, yeah i heard it was like pretty crazy with fireworks it was it was it was there was right outside my house people were going like I would say three hours nonstop. And I mean, literally like the longest gap was 15 seconds. Crazy stuff. Like, I don't know where, I don't know where the budget to have all these fireworks comes from. And I, I don't really know any other city where that is kind of the norm, but you know, those people can't go to the bar. They're saving a lot of money. That's exactly it. Cause I, especially in New York, you go to a bar and it's like, I'll have a beer. It's like, Oh, it's $15. What? You know, but you could spend, I, I I had a buddy. We went to a bar once. And my idea of going to a bar is like two beers and maybe some food. So like $20 at like a a cheap bar, 25 bucks. And he was like, oh yeah, I just spent $80 on just drinks. And that blows my mind. And he had like four. And I guess maybe I'm just out of that thing, that kind of scene. But in New York, it's unbelievable that you can drop bands on a couple alcoholic beverages. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. I don't miss that. (laughs) <laughs> no, I mean, I, I don't blame you. And now they're probably going to all go out of business, unfortunately, which is uh, a shame. Well, I hope not. We'll see. Let's hope. Hopefully the next time you, you come back to New York, it'll be a little uh, how you remember it, you know? Yeah. Um, but here, so now we, we went past all of the kind of stuff that I, I had a chance to ask you before. And since we've talked, uh, you released your debut record, Secret Place. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to ask, because I was listening to it, and I would say, what would you say was the, your strongest inspiration for the sound of that record? 
Mm. Well, I think like a lot of debut records, you know, you're the, the focus isn't really so much on being focused on a theme, but it's like, so like, okay, I'm going to offer up everything that I have kind of like sort of give an array of my influences. So it's really hard to say like, okay, this is, this is the strongest influence for the record, but there's certainly a couple that um, I could point out that would be, that were big influences. I mean, certainly like the work of Wendy Carlos, it's a huge, and, and Stevie Wonder as well, like in terms of like the performance and writing and sound design on synthesizers. Mm-hmm. I noticed uh, a lot, a lot of synth work on that on your record. Well, you should have because it's a keyboard <laughs> record. <laughs> Keyboards and drums—that's about it. So, a lot of synth work for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, speaking of CV Wonder, did you get a chance to hear uh, any of his new music? No. He came out with uh, it, it was it kind of flew under the radar, which surprised me. The only reason I found out um, was that. I was just scrolling through YouTube news and there's just a little thing that was like a little vice or something about Stevie Wonder. He released two songs about two weeks ago and they're like incredible. And apparently he hasn't released music in six years, but you know, you're saying inspiration wow. from Stevie. I know it's I heard it's, nothing it's, about that. Yeah. And it's, uh, it had, um, uh, Rhapsody and, uh, you know, YBN Corday, the rapper. Yeah. He's, yeah, he's just he's just Corday now because like the YBN group uh, disbanded, but uh, and Busta Rhymes on it. It's it's, wow. it's a it's a lineup, and it somehow flew under the radar. Um, I just mentioned that because he was talking about your inspiration and and from from Stevie. I was also going to ask how much deliberation went into your choices for the musicians that you had on the record. Um, not a lot. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Basically, like I said, most of the, most of the records keyboards, so it's me. So mm-hmm. if I'm deliberating that, I might as well not make the record. <laughs> but uh, there's there's two guys that are that I'm very close with musically and and as friends that I was like, if I'm making a record, they have to be involved, and there's no way around it. Mm-hmm. And those are and that's Nick, the engineer, mm-hmm. and um, Robert Seawright, Spud. Gotcha. It's like I have to have Spud and I have to have Nick. So I basically made the record with those two guys and everyone else I'm um, whose contributions are on there that are super important. Mm-hmm. Um, the vocalists, um, Melanie Watson, Maz, Mike Maz Maher, mm-hmm. and Domenica Fasati. Also, Mark Latiri is playing guitar on track. Mm. Um, I think that's it. But yeah, I mean, the, 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 the bulk of the tracking process happened with Nick and, and Spud and, and Nick, especially because Nick edited, engineered, um, mixed and, um, yeah, basically co-produced the record with me, essentially. How long was the process of making the record? Well, we started in Omaha, Nebraska. We tracked for nine days, me and Spud and Nick, and then, um, after that, we mixed, from edited and mixed, me and Nick, for a while. I remember around that time, and we were both super, Nick was so busy. I think he was working on like seven projects at once. Mm-hmm. So 
um, really the hard, the difficult thing was scheduling um, mix mix sessions. Cause then there was like, well, first there was the overdubbing process with like tying up loose ends. And then we, we started mixing and then mastering, but I think the whole process, let's see, I put that out in May of 2019, I'd say a year and a half. Mm-hmm. I'd say from the time I put the record out to the time I began, cause I think I started tracking in October of 2018. Gotcha. I want to also ask you about, um, because I knew I, I had heard your record when it came out, but something that I, I hadn't heard until uh, preparing for today was your miniatures album. And I, was, oh, I, wanted yeah. to, I wanted to ask about that because I was like, this is a hefty ass track listing. 35 songs. That's, yeah. that's, that's incredible. You know, you don't see records with 35 songs on it. How did, how did that album come about? Um, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> um, I was I, years and years ago. I don't know how I found out about this collection of songs, but I think I, I, I might've been like, it might've been when I first moved to New York and I was like saying yes to every single gig that someone asked me to do. And a friend of mine at the time, Brad Whiteley, he's a keyboard player, also lives in Brooklyn. He was playing a church gig, but like a like playing at a Catholic church, playing like Catholic mass kind mm-hmm. of stuff. And he asked me to sub for him. It was like four services on Sunday in the Bronx. I had to be up there at like 7.30 in the morning from like the heart of Brooklyn, like in Kensington. I had to leave at like fucking 5.30 in the morning or something. <laughs> And uh, I go up there and I think I must have bought the book for that. Cause I was like, I need some like sort of easier organ pieces to play just as like prelude music. But um, years and years go by. And then I, I found this book, I think maybe in my storage unit. I was like, man, I'm gonna check this stuff out again. And I was at home and when I, my, the last place I lived in New York was with uh, my friend, Michelle Wills. Mm-hmm. And uh, at, she has a pump organ at home, you know, like a harmonium familiar with these instruments yeah yeah so i was like sitting at this pump organ playing these songs i'm like this shit is so beautiful and uh so i like played through a couple and i was like man it'd be cool to record these but i didn't really know how and i was thinking man maybe maybe i could record them on this organ thing mm-hmm. and then fast forward to march and i'm over here and i'm like it was like basically like my big quarantine first big quarantine project gotcha. it's like so she so i didn't bring the book with me but michelle photocopied the whole <laughs> book for me and sent it to me via email that's a loyal and ass so friend she she's uh, she's amazing and she's also putting out a record very soon too um so anyway that that was also my chance to sort of dive into this um soft synth world and i was using this collection of synths made by arturia Cool. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's like emulations of a bunch of vintage digital analog synthesizers. So I was trying to, I was like, okay, I'm going to like try to play through these and try to craft a sound that like really supports each composition. And also like in, in the book, there's uh, listings for stops, like organ stops. Yeah. So it was a chance to also like research organ stops and like, okay, this means this, because it's like sort of antiquated terms and it's like very organ specific. So you have to look them up and see, okay, this supposed, this means like clarinet or this means bassoon or this means viola. Mm-hmm. And so, okay, now how can I sort of satisfy that in a synth terms? So 
I was like, okay, there's 35 of these things. I'm like, okay, I want to try to do all 35 of them. And I did some, I like more than others, you know, but uh, it was a very rewarding process. And and it was just sort of the thing. I was like, you know what, I'm going to just do this. I'm going to put it out and see what happens. No, no pressure or anything, but it's out. And so did you, you engineered it yourself? Uh, I had to help with Nick from that. I'm, I, I did most of the work myself and then I sent it to Nick to sort of fine tune it. And then we actually, I mean, Nick's not a mastering engineer, but we uh, mastered it together. Mastering and just my opinion isn't like, cause I, when I produce music, I don't have the budget to, to pay someone to master it usually. So I always just do a master myself and that process, geez, is it's like, it's one of those things that until you try to do it, you don't really appreciate the work that goes into it because I can't even make it sound even a quarter as good as these is is people who really do it and it's so difficult it's an incredible mm. process and it's an underrated process that i don't think like i know a, a lot of musicians don't discuss you know everyone talks about how you're producing it how you're engineering it but the mastering process is one of those things that's like i le- i've learned to have so much respect for it but i think it sounded fantastic when i was listening to the record so congratulations oh. you, you guys did a, a killing job thank you thank you thank you yeah it's funny talking to nick about mastering because he's like i'm not a master he's like very clear i'm not a mastering engineer he's like to him i think it's sort of the dark arts of it mm-hmm. he's like i don't know what those guys do so yeah. like we, we started messing around with some basic mastering tools i i even even through the very basic process that we did for mastering i i I, I don't feel like I had, I still have any level of appreciation for what's happening there other than like the, the attempt, especially on 35 tracks mm-hmm. <laughs> to bring a consistency and sound and a, a, a general contour throughout the entirety of that record. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, it's difficult. Yeah. So, it's, it, it's crazy. And audio engineers, like you said, Nick was, you know, they, he was saying that he's not a mastering engineer. Every audio engineer I know that's their, Thing. they're like oh i'm terrible at it I, I don't know anything about it and then they play me they're mastering and i'm like this sounds fantastic what are you talking about and they're like oh no it's this doesn't sound good and then in this range it's bad and i'm sitting there like i can't hear the difference <laughs> yeah it's in, it's it's interesting like the way our our disciplines respective disciplines affect our ears and and what we're able to hear and and listen for because there were countless times in doing the record with nick the first record secret place we'd be sitting together and he would a b something for me i was like nick i really can't tell a difference between the two but then there's other times when i'm like dude you can't hear that note or like you can't hear that one thing he's like i can't hear it but i mean that just happens it's that's why it's so good to have another voice in the room it's like if there's anything that's like about doing something yourself is like, you don't have that check. You yeah. don't have like the other voice of reason, whether it's a producer or an engineer or an editor or even another musician, it's so good to have somebody else say, Hey, either it's okay. We can move on. Cause that's another danger about like tracking by yourself. It's like, mm-hmm. I'll do a hundred takes or something. If I'm by myself, if I'm in the studio, it sort of brings your focus in and you're like, okay, I'm going to get this right the first time. Cause otherwise I'm wasting people's time. Have you ever noticed that sometimes when you do something as many times as you want, you're almost less satisfied with the final product than sometimes when you're forced to do it and you're forced to, you just have to get used to the take that you did. You almost, 100%. you almost enjoy it more sometimes because you've, instead of 
looking for that perfect track and trying to achieve it, you almost find that you think that this track that you did quickly is perfect in a lot of ways. Yeah. Because you, you have to. Yeah, totally. What yeah. they say about diminishing returns. <laughs> I think when that happens, you know, when you've peaked. Yep. And I, I, sometimes I, that's hard when no one else is in the room. You're like, ah, get a little better. Absolutely. It can always, there's, I mean, every, every creative endeavor, but audio and music in general is just so subjective. And it doesn't matter how many times you tell yourself that it's like, like I can, I can tell myself that all day, but I'm still going to look at all the stuff I do subjectively. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. I, I have a question in the comments that I, I want to read you. Uh, Carl asks, what was it like playing with Corey Wong? Um, when did when I play with Corey Wong? Uh-oh, Carl, did you? Carl, did he not play with Corey Wong? Oh, no, Carl. No, I... I Because of the, thing, the time I'm thinking of, I, I went and heard him play with his band at Brooklyn Bowl, but I don't know if we ever... Honestly, I don't think we played together. Carl, what are you doing? You're making me look bad. <laughs> no, no. He, no, he might be making me look bad. No, I mean, I'm, I, I just appreciate any time anyone asks a question because I always but feel like I, I'm I will, running on fumes. <laughs> I will say that, um, I, I, yeah, Corey's a fantastic guitar player. And actually, I recorded on a track with him. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's what he's talking about. That might be it. Uh, we recorded I'm, together on Becca Stevens' record. Gotcha. Record, maybe that's okay. what he's talking about. I was trying. Uh, when did we play together? But we recorded on the same track. Speaking of, and of, that was cool. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of Becca, um, I I actually I go to the new school, which was her old college, and I didn't know that until I got there. When I I went to college, um, was right. It was a year after Family Dinner Two came out, mm-hmm. uh, and she's the she's the first track on that, and I just remember being so amazed because I had no clue that she went to school there, and I was just like starstruck because one of my teachers was like, you know, when people come into my class, you know, you know, like Robert Glasper, Becca Stevens, I was like, what? I was like, this is the girl that I'm like listening to, and you know, at home all the time. I was I was absolutely starstruck. She's incredible, Becca. Yeah. Yeah, that's fantastic. And speaking of family dinner, I have a question about that. I wanted to ask, what was your favorite collaboration on either of the family dinner records? Uh, well, I wasn't on the first one. Uh, wait a minute. But, you weren't yeah, on the first one. I wasn't on the first one. Okay, wait was- a minute. How did I not know that? I'm like... I, I've been like a snarky puppy super fan. I can't believe I messed that up. No, no, no. It's okay. A lot of people, I mean, it's just it's assume. I was in the band, but um, I was touring with another person around that time. It was like sort of like my first other gig, like sort of pop gig. Mm-hmm. I was playing with this um, artist from New Zealand named Jen Wigmore. Mm-hmm. And uh, she was doing quite a bit of touring. I remember we were in Europe and, and a tour got extended mm-hmm. and it was during the family dinner session. Gotcha. And, and I ended up missing that, that session, which was tragic, obviously because it was the first Grammy that the band won. I was like, son of a bitch. The one time, the one time <laughs> you're not there. 
<laughs> so uh yeah i wasn't on that one well but, i apologize i apologize for not keeping my shit straight <laughs> no 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 of course that's i'm, I'm not offended uh there's a, there's a lot of us but uh on family dinner too certainly because i all that i and i think i can speak for the other guys too that family dinner one too was like um it's just such a whirlwind like even more than like any of the like live stuff even with silva i feel like with the family dinner stuff it's like such a freaking whirlwind of like getting shit together mm-hmm. but um i loved I, I love playing Lauren Bull's song, Sing to the Moon. Yes. That was a cool arrangement. I, that I, I actually also involved my, room, my ex-roommate now, Michelle. Uh, she was playing pump organ on that, her pump organ she played on there that. There you go. It ties it all together. Yeah. And I did uh, I did double duty on that track. We had like a little keyboard trade between me and Corey and Sean and Bill, which was cool. Uh, and then I, at the very end, I like run across the room and play trumpet. So that really? was like sort of fun to do that. And plus that song is epic as shit yeah. too. I was but, for- uh, there's so much good shit on that record too, man. It's like, sorry, what were you going to say? Well, I was going to say, I was, I was fortunate enough. I didn't get to see the taping, but I got to uh, come to one of the film premieres in, I think it was like Chelsea or the West Village or something like that. It was mm. some, some, some art theater. And being able to hear it, I, it was pre- presented, I remember it was being marketed, it was in like 4K surround sound. And being able to hear that record, because I had, I had heard, I think up until that point, you, you guys had released like two songs. I think it was, the, I, think it was I Asked and um, Melina Malero uh, had come out as singles. Mm. And I remember just hearing that whole album in that, like it was like six point sound throughout the screen. It was unbelievable, it was in 4K. That was one of those experiences that I'll never forget because getting to hear that, knowing that it was coming live, but hearing that in that setting was like watching it as a live show. And it was incredible. And that record has, has stuck to me, stuck with me forever as, as one of my favorite uh, Snarky Puppy records. But sorry, oh, cool. what, what, what were you going to say? I cut you off by mistake. Oh, no, it's okay. I was just getting ready to go on and on because now I hadn't thought about that in years. So it's like hard to like, hey, remember that time you did this or remember playing with Corey Wong? I'm like, shit, got 2020 has been a long year, man. Yeah, I, 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 I'm, I try to, <laughs> I'm, I'm still very new to the whole live interview thing. So I apologize if I'm, oh, jumping, no, 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 if no. I'm jumping around all the, all the time. Okay. But I was, um, just, I was mainly speaking to that question from, yeah. the, from Carl. Carl. Uh, Carl. Carl's always here. Carl and Ian are like the are the two guys who are awesome. always watching the stream. So major cool. shout out to them. Sorry, continue. Um, but actually, talk. I remember Becca's thing too. I asked. I remember that specifically too. With the well, there was I asked. There was two. There were two songs. There was I asked and Be Still. And was, um, was I, Be Still a, a a bonus track? I think it maybe. was on the. I think it was on the special edition of that record. Okay. That's a, that, That's, there's, I think there's two tracks that came out after on a, an extended edition. You're right. Yeah. Be Still, I, I love that song. That's yeah, a fantastic I really love song. That song. But I remember like, I mean, I was familiar with Becca's music. I love Becca's music. In fact, I really have a soft spot for the uh, first record, mm-hmm. T by C. So awesome. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking like, oh, wow, she's like dealing with harmony in such a specific way, such a unique way. And, and, um, it really like really blew my mind, like really sort of changed my perspective on harmony. Um, 
but then like having to play her songs, that was the first time I had a chance to play her songs. And ah, man, rhythmically too, it's like, there's such a feeling in the music that, okay, the phrasing go really goes with the vocal. Then nothing, nothing is sort of like built in as a construct, like a sort of artificial construct, or it's like we're tied into a meter. It's like these things are very fluid and they're based on the vocal. And I thought that was super cool. But as a result, I was like, being unfamiliar with someone's style, like on that level of having to perform, you can listen to it as one thing as sort of passively, but once you're taking an active role in the music making process of someone's music, it's like, wow, this shit's super deep. And I remember her stuff being a specific challenge, but very rewarding. And then I ended up playing a handful of gigs with her band later on, actually last, last year at the, at the beginning of this year, actually and played in Ottawa, I think. And, but uh, yeah, man, really like her music and uh, Salif Keita's tune was super nice. Uh, really, everybody, everybody brought different stuff. Of course, Jacob and um, yeah, super cool stuff. Jacob's yeah. really done so much. It, it's incredible the amount of stuff that I see him coming out with on a regular basis. It's his his work ethic is absolutely unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, we've got another question from my fantastic friend Sean. My best friend, my man here. He 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 and I really got into Snarky Puppy back in high school together. It was like a, it was like our our joint thing. Um, he asked, uh, uh, "What of the Snarky Puppy albums that you've played on are your favorites, or which are your favorites?" Um, wow. Um, I mean, it's I I really like the last two that we've done mm-hmm. for sure. I mean, we we always have a good time. You know, but like I said, there's something about being in the studio and it not being in this live sort of setting and feels a bit more relaxed. And as a keyboard player, you can sort of take a deeper dive and like the sound design and, and getting things really sounding right. Whereas in the in the live setting, maybe there's like a little bit more pressure to just like perform the parts and sort of satisfy that. And then like if we want to refine anything, it's sort of like in the editing and post-production process. But uh, that being said, I mean, like We Like It Here was super fun, obviously, mm-hmm. like a lot of memorable things happened around that. And um, yeah, I mean, first time recording with Larnell, which was insane. I mean, I'm yeah. sure you know that story. Um, I think I think we actually, I think we talked about it in our in our first interview in, in 2016. Probably. I think we had, I think if I remember correctly, honestly, I haven't watched it because watching myself in the past is one of the is like nails on a chalkboard to me having to see my my myself on camera back then so i haven't watched in a while but i think that was like i think i split that interview into two and i think that was the story that was like the cliffhanger into the part two yeah it was my Uh, my attempt at you know getting people over to the second which i think this i think i think part two ironically i think is the most popular of that interview Oh, okay. <laughs> and it's still it's still the most it's pro- then we were probably talking about Larnell. <laughs> that's like it's actually that, It's like that, the first record you're talking all about yourself and then the second part you're talking about Larnell. <laughs> no, I don't think that's it. But um I think it, I think this I think the second part was like a I think my editing was a little bit cleaner. I think back in the first one I think I was kind of sloppy, so I think people caught on to the fact that I didn't really know what I was doing. But um it's still the most popular music related uh thing that i've i've put out so i thank you for that so much wow okay yeah um, okay, I, got... I was gonna say uh 
it's interesting now that they've been putting the tell your friends out remixed Nick mm-hmm. did the remixes for that that was also a fun really fun session because at that point it was the first time of us doing that sort of model of the live in studio thing and, and no one knew what the fuck we were doing mm-hmm. uh so talk about like a nervous energy there there was for sure but like we were i mean thinking back that was 11 years ago that headspace that we were all in how did how much things have changed and how much we've all learned since then but each each session is fun really in its own way and have super bright moments and and, and unique challenges and i know that's a generic answer but it, it really is true no I, I i know exactly what you're talking about um let me see uh check the comments <laughs> Ian asks, where does the name Snarky Puppy come from? Ian, if you go back on my YouTube channel, you can, uh, I think Justin uh, has mentioned that in the last one. And also there's a, a bunch of clips that talk about that. And um, every interview about Snarky Puppy ever. Yeah. it was. Thank like, you for answering that for me. <laughs> no, it's okay. I had a feeling, I, I was like, that seems something, like something I would have asked. And I, I probably did. Okay, I got I got one more question for you, just because this is something I, I genuinely am interested in. I like to hear people's perspectives on this. What artists would you say that are are modern right now, underground artists that you think are underrated? And also on the contrasting point, what really popular modern artists do you also think to some people are underrated? Um, let's see. One second. Let me look here because there, there's a couple things that i've been checking out that i really like um you know it, i i've told people that like my first record and in turn you know you asked me earlier about strong influences for my record and and although i couldn't say from a musical sense that this one thing would influence the sound of the entire record but i would say conceptually that uh, a record that influenced it was Mark Ronson's record, Uptown Special. Absolutely, that's a fantastic album. It's so good, and it's it. You know, you're not going to listen to Uptown Special and be like, "Oh wow, yeah, I see where Justin got his shit." But like, <laughs> the breadth of like influences, and, and and to me, it's like a producer's record. It's like a calling card. It's like saying, "I feel comfortable doing these things," and. I feel at home in these styles and, and I want to show my versatility. And it's like, when I did my first record, it's like, I want to do that. Mm-hmm. That's you- what I want my first record effort to be is like, I'm going to write something that's like this. I'm going to write something like this, like this, like this, and, and do things in a variety of styles and sort of showcase myself in that way. So uh, in terms of like a mainstream artist, I, I'm a, I have a great amount of respect for him. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of newer artists, I really like um, Ethan Gruska. I think that's how you say his name, Gruska. Mm-hmm. You checked him out? I have not, but I know the name. Beautiful, beautiful, um, beautiful music. And I'm and I'm sure it, in interviews that he's done, a, a, a fact, a fun fact about him that I'm sure he he's sick of divulging is that he is the grandson of John Williams. Really? Okay, that's. See, I'm like, you want to talk about some of my, like something I can nerd out about. John Williams is that, that guy. Yeah. Like I am the world's like biggest John Williams fan. Oh, His, man. He is absolutely unbelievable. 
Yeah. Well, I, yeah, I'm right there with you. Um, but in, in, I mean, you're not going to listen to his grandson's music and be like, Oh, okay. I hear the influence, but <laughs> I hear the Harry Potter theme song in this, <laughs> right? You're not going to hear that, but super beautiful, super beautiful writing and lyrics and, and very understated in a way. And it's very intimate. I really like his music. I really like, uh, uh my girlfriend Gisela showed me this artist, uh, I hope I pronounce her name right, Kaja Bonet. That, I do not know that name. Super beautiful music, really great voice, and, and the production on a lot of the stuff I've heard is very, like, sort of harkens back to sort of uh, Delphonics, sort of orchestral R&B sort of vibe. It's really, really beautiful. Um, who else? You know, I've, I've always been a fan of uh, this band in Brooklyn called the Netherlands. It's sort of like a rock band, mm-hmm. sort of like not a metal band per se, but sort of like proggy metal, super badass. Bob Lanzetti showed me that. Do you miss uh, getting to go out to see like live shows on that, like the New York City music scene? Oh, like, man. Bar I mean, crawling yeah, and all that. It's, it's the it's it's the thing I miss the most about what were your New fa- York. Well, I, I, I always ask people this. What was, what was your, Where were your favorite spots to go not I'm not talking about like giant venues. I'm talking just like going to see a band on like a Friday night in the city. Uh, I mean, there were so many things that I saw. I mean, like, you know, a place like Rockwood would be a default or like going to like if you want to see jazz, like going to Smalls and hanging or, or something like that. But like so many I remember so many shows that I remember seeing were like seemed like pop up shows or loft shows, like going to see something in Bushwick or like um yeah, man. Interviews. I forgot how to do interviews. It's like I should be no, like, it's okay. ready no, to it's... rock with these questions. I'm like, fuck, I don't know. No, because it's like, I mean, yes, this is technically like an interview type thing, but I always want it to be like very casual, not just like bam, 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 bam. Here's the perfect answer. Here's the perfect question. You know, very casual conversation. So I appreciate you even joining us. Means a ton. Um, nah, it's cool. You know, talking about clubs, I, I have, <laughs> I love Rockwood. It's a, it's a fantastic place, and um, my roommate used to play there all the time. He, he was, he subs for the the group Aberdeen, um, and I, I have a bad. The one thing about Rockwood is I, the only time I, I played there once, and I had such a terrifying experience because I played a gig where uh, my friend called me, and he says, "Hey, I'm coming to the city tomorrow. We need a drummer." And I was like, okay, cool. And he goes, I don't have, uh, I have the, the chords. That's it. Um, and like two voice recordings, but it's like, we're playing an hour of music and two voice recordings is like a couple songs, which it's not, it's not his fault at all. You know, he was just saying, this is what I have just so you know, would you like to do it? And I was like, yeah, whatever. And so I, I played a show where I didn't know anything. I walked in, I had heard one song and it was in the what are the three stages at Rockwood? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I think I was, in, I was at the, the, I think I was stage two, whatever the, the bar is where the drums are on the floor. And I was on the floor, basically in the audience, watching the singer playing to music that I had never heard before and just hoping that I got it right. And it was such, and so now like whenever I walk by Rockwood, I get chills. Cause I was so embarrassed hoping that people would like catch on to the fact that I obviously did not have a effing clue about what I was doing. But um, that's a, Rockwood's such a fantastic venue. And another place that I used to like to go all the time was uh, 55 Bar. Did you ever go there? Oh, yeah. 
Love fifty. Yeah. See, that's a, an example. That's like, in fact, that's the last place. That's the last gig I played in New York. Really? Because uh, I left. Let's see. I, I remember it's like the week. It, the last thing that I did in in the states was I, I went to my buddy Jay's wedding. Jay Jennings. He got married in March. We we flew down to Texas to go to his where he's from. He and his wife. And uh, we, we went. We we flew down. But before that, it was like I think I flew down on Friday. But Thursday I had a gig at Fifty Five Bar with Zach Brock. That was the last place I played. I fucking love Fifty Five Bar so much. Fifty Five is the coolest, also because like it's one of those places where really high level people come in. But you're not, you don't feel like you got robbed afterward. You know, like you go in and you, you like, you like a lot of the places you go in and you end up losing like a hundred bucks, which I mean, for great music is worth it. But sometimes you're like, damn, I feel like the musicians didn't get any of this. But the 55 bar you go in, it's like what, like a $15 cover most of the time. You spend like yeah. 10, 20 bucks on, on drinks. It's a fantastic place for like, especially a college kid on a budget like myself to get to go see incredible artists. I think the first, the first one I saw there was, um, it's Keith Carlock and I can't remember the guitarist, but um, Wayne Krantz. It, yeah, it was Keith Wayne Krantz and your buddy Mike League was on bass actually. Oh, it was Mike. Okay. Yeah, and I remember I was that say was probably Tim, but no, I think he. Uh, I think I think Mike was subbing because I think it was. I if when I first got tickets, he wasn't on the on the bill if I remember correctly, and then he he came in later because I remember my friends and I were sit, standing. You know that back hallway. Yeah. And it was basically, it was me and my buddy. And then, uh, and then Bob Lanzetti actually was right behind us chilling. I felt bad. I was like, he's coming here to see his, his, his friend. And he's like stuck in this back hallway. Um, but I just remember Mike was like reading like a motherfucker. Like he was staring at that, that sheet music. I was like, so I was just waiting. I was like, there's no way he's not going to like totally screw this shit up. Cause it's like, I can barely follow this, this music. And he was just killing it. It was an incredible show. And again, it was like 20 bucks. It was one of the best shows I've ever seen. It was like 20 awesome. bucks. Yeah, that place has mojo for sure. Absolutely. And um, uh, what's, what's that place up near Williamsburg? Uh, huge place. I can't think of the name of it now. But uh, another place would be like the Bitter End, too, in uh, the village. That's a fantastic venue. Do you ever have you ever gone to any of the, the Monday night? They do like a jam session on Monday night at Bitter End? I, no, I never went to that. Cool at Bitter End's a, uh, a cool ass place. I'm gonna be honest. The uh, sometimes they're a little difficult to work with, but um, they they do a Monday night jam with and the musicians there are absolutely incredible. So you go, you drink, you play a tune. Basically, you go and you drink and you hang out with your buddies and listen to some music. Fantastic house band though. Just to go to the house band and um, one time I went there and actually we we're chilling at this jam session and um we're like we see all these like really good looking people come in. And we're like, these people look famous. My buddy goes, dude, that's Bella Hadid right behind us. We're chilling at, a, at this dive bar at a basically like a funk jazz session, jam session. And Bella Hadid's there. And then my buddy goes, hey, that's the guy from the Dudesons. And it's freaking Diplo, the producer. Mm -hmm. And that was like, well, that was wow. one of those things. That was one of those New York experiences where I'm like, I'm in a dingy bar at 1.30 in the morning in the West Village or in uh, right, uh, Washington Square Park area, and Diplo and Bella Hadid are hanging out. It's, you know, it's one of those, like, New York things. I hope that comes back, that kind of vibe. Yeah, well, if it comes back anywhere, it'll be there first. Yeah, it's just that's what, that's what it's built on, whether you're 
seeing music or seeing comedy mm-hmm. or, you know, being in the West Village and going to the comedy cellar and like, I never got a chance to go I, there. Yeah. One of the last times I went, I remember, of course, you know, can't really speak his name. Anymore, oh, but, uh, I get, I know what you're saying. So Louis CK and John Stewart. Uh, in the same freaking night. Well, it's funny. They, they, <laughs> Maz and I went to the Comedy Cellar and, and, and they both did bits that set before the ones we got tickets for. Of course, she didn't know. They just showed up. But they came upstairs. Yeah. We were waiting at the bar upstairs to go in and we were sitting there and I saw Louis' face on the, the TV behind the bar and I was just like, oh, well, it must be like some old footage. And then yeah. like five minutes later, we were sitting at a table and they like walked up from the back, like a back staircase in the bar, him and John Stewart. And I was like, holy shit. Yeah, just but, that would yeah, it's New York. I mean, and of course, in the music world, it's like you know, going to Zinc Bar is another great place too. I've Super. never been there, but I know a, a, a bunch of friends have played there and go there all the time. Always, always a good hang. I remember like going there and like Roy showing up, and um, one of the last times I went there, it was like I think it was like around Winter Jazz Fest. It was like January, or February. You know, like in New York, it's just it, at its worst weather wise. But like <laughs> the hang was so deep. Like the so vibe, crazy there. The the vibe is sometimes cool when you're in New York and it's like miserable outside and going into one of those places. Like sometimes when it's you know it's nice out, it makes it better. But sometimes when it's like miserable to get there and you're freezing cold and you finally get to a place like that, it almost enhances it in a way. Yeah, you know, I had to, I had to say another, another great place though that I missed too is New Blue. The thing that Ray Angry was doing mm-hmm. there on I think Monday nights um, was really really awesome. Yeah, a uh, couple of buddies playing at that regularly and stopping by. Like that hang was super deep too. So yeah, yeah. I mean, the more yeah, the more I think about it, I'm like, fuck, New York, man, miss it. Well, Very I much. hope I hope you get a chance to come back soon, and I hope it's not miserable when you do. But uh, I could go on talking about New York City places forever. But I want to say thank you so much for joining me today. I really, really appreciate it. Um, I hope I didn't keep you too late. What time is it there? Oh, no, it's ten. Oh, okay. Well, my thank exciting you. Friday night. I spent my Friday night with you. <laughs> thank you. I could not. I could not have had a better Friday night. Awesome. Um, thank you, Justin. I appreciate it so much. Uh, yeah, stay safe. It. I hope you get a chance to come back to the city sometime and enjoy its its splendors. But uh, enjoy it, Portugal. And to everyone who is watching, thank you so much. You can check this replay up on YouTube, or you can hear. Uh, the audio-only version on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts, all that stuff. So thank you all for watching, and I'll see you all in the next episode. Wow.